Welcome to episode 174 of Tim Talk, the podcast about the DC animated universe, co-created by Bruce Tim. I'm Chris Lord. And I am Cameron. Nope. Nope. You got it. I got it. I'm Cameron Dexter. <laughs> <laughs> you were on a roll. You had it. You had it. I had it and I lost it. You had I don't the... do accents. You don't. <laughs> well, don't worry. I'm here to do many terrible accents for the both of us. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because this week we're going back to Germany. We are, yeah. So this week we're covering the three-part season one finale of Justice League, The Savage Time. Yes, that um, doesn't have Nazis. No, exactly. Nazis. They they never specifically say the word Nazis. Or Hitler. No, we do see Hitlersicle. Yes. Popsicle Hitler. Is it a in the same sense we see Austin Powers frozen? Yeah, it's basically the exact same shot. Yes. Pretty much, yeah. Um, although Hitler's not in a massive vault of other frozen people, which would be weirder. Oh, yeah, I guess Austin is, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of confusing because in the first movie, he's in like a massive vault of other frozen people, including like Gary Coleman and Vanilla Ice. And then in the second one, when he's back in the 60s and he visits himself, he's like on his own. Yes. It's strange. I is that when, that's the one where Dr. Evil steals his mojo. Steals his mojo. One. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know way too much about those movies. They're good. They're, They're great. Good. They're good. They hold up. But we're not here to talk about that. We are here, I wish to talk, we were. <laughs> here to talk about Justice League. But I I think this is probably some of the best Justice League we've had so far. I really love these episodes. It is, they're, they're really, really good. Yeah. I I was almost, uh, I don't want to say like frustrated, but like I was maybe a little bit perturbed that I had to be taking notes and constantly pausing while mm-hmm. watching these. I really just wanted to sit and watch them and enjoy them and not have to like constantly interrupt myself so i might rewatch them now just that's to, to watch and enjoy yeah that's very fair i mean to 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 pull the very thin veil back on what a podcaster's life is the tedious work that we do <laughs> it it's it's almost like homework having to yeah. watch these episodes like you, you, even if you enjoy reading when you're assigned reading it's still like it takes a slight bit of joy away from it yeah. And I think especially when they're good episodes, mm-hmm. because like we can't because like last week was very fun watching. <laughs> I, I I loved like the fun of last week was taking all the notes about all the things that I want to shit on, yes. on Metamorphosis. This was the opposite. I just wanted to enjoy it. And I was having to write out like some analysis and thoughts and questions. And, mm-hmm. and I had a lot of questions. I don't know a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, but I I I really, really enjoyed these, actually. I think it's a pretty damn good way to wrap up the the first season. So we will be getting into that, but we are going to do a brief news segment first. Something yes, that your favorite. Well, yeah, I know. I'm desperately trying to shorten these things down, but, you know, I did say that we would get rid of news unless something particularly relevant to the podcast came up, and that did happen this week. We got an announcement about Wonder Woman, um, but it also involves streaming, which is Cameron's favorite <gasps> subject to talk about so yes. i really couldn't Quibi's get away back baby <laughs> they're releasing wonder woman on quibi yes four minutes at a time uh no it was announced this week that uh you know the sequel to wonder woman wonder woman 1984 will be keeping its christmas day release date in the united states but it'll also be getting a day and date streaming release on hbo max without an additional premium so any subscribers will be able to watch it the day of without having to pay anything extra beyond the already exorbitant 15 bucks a month Mm -hmm. Uh, 
I'm not sure how it's going to work internationally because HBO Max, I don't think, is fully rolled out around the world. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not in the UK, for example, and their theaters are mostly locked down. So I'm not certain how that's going to play out. Um, I just know that we'll be able to, to watch it now at home. Very mixed feelings about this. I don't know. What are your thoughts? I, I, I like the move. I think it's a very smart move from Warner, and that is coming from someone who is very hesitant to, to compliment <laughs> Warner at the moment. Yeah. Uh, they just did another very big round of layoffs and I'm very upset with them mm-hmm. uh, for flailing and trying to copy Disney's moves from a couple weeks ago. But that's not important because that's Hollywood bullshit that no right. one should care about. Right. This is Hollywood bullshit that some people care about. Yes, that we care about. <laughs> and even few of our listeners care about. <laughs> yes. Um, but no, I think I think it is smart from Warner because it's, it's a competitive movie. You know, this is Warner's big movie of 2020. Yeah. Sans Tenet. Um, yeah, and that didn't work out very well for them. Right. Um, and I think, you know, putting it Christmas is very smart because that's going to get them like the Christmas subscribers. And I think it's it's a more desired movie than Soul, which is Disney's Christmas Day release. Yeah, I mean, Soul Soul's an interesting one because... I don't think anyone expected huge box office from that. Mm-hmm. So not that it's a good thing that's only going to streaming again. A movie like that is still worth seeing in a theater and, and having box office numbers behind it just to show just support and success. But I think Wonder Woman's a totally different beast because this was, I think everyone expected to be a billion dollar film, close to a billion dollar film. Yeah. I can't imagine they're going to get anywhere near close to that. And it's also much harder to break down the success because how do you quantify streaming success? Do you base it off of just number of, of viewers? And even then, that data skewed because it's not necessarily people watching the whole movie. Do you base it off of like presumptions on increased number of subscribers who joined just for this? Do you base it off of how many people drop off after the first month because they just saw Wonder Woman? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how they um, prove success on this in yeah. the same sort how, of way. How do you quantify success on it? Yeah, and I, and I think... The problem with a movie like Wonder Woman is that it is, it's sad to say this, but it is a standout because it is still a female-led superhero movie. We're still not getting as many of those. We're getting more than we ever did before, and they're of great quality, but it's not normal in that regards. And I think a movie like this needs quantitative proof of its success more so than a male-led superhero movie. And that is one thing that is a little bit disappointing about this choice but I'm also happy that I get to see it, but I also would have preferred to see it in a theater. I would have been fine to wait. Well, Chris, do I have some news for you? Okay. Because <laughs> uh, Warner is actually teaming up with local theaters around the country to try and create like a like a movie party thing where you basically can rent out a theater yeah. for you and a group, you know, depending on what state you're in. Different Different states have different levels of quarantine and lockdown right now i think california it's like you're not supposed to have more than like six people in a room at this point I don't, i'm not even certain um, so yeah i mean we have two and that's the most people i've seen since the last recording i know yeah <laughs> yeah um but yeah I, I think that's it's a smart idea to especially for like the theater to reach sorry for the studio to reach out to the theater to promote it especially with yeah. how struggling theaters are right now yeah it I don't know. Like for for me, my family's always done a movie Christmas Day. Okay. Because we, you know, open presents in the morning. We have a nice breakfast. We kind of play with the new stuff we got. 
And then after like an hour, we're all kind of bored with each other. And, we, <laughs> and we're just like, let's just go to the movies. Yeah. Uh, and it's a great barrier of conversation. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Because uh, you know me, I need a movie to, <laughs> to talk about. Yeah, I know. Um, but also with Wonder Woman talking about its success, this is the only superhero film of this year. like trying to do the mental. I know I was also trying to like, was like do a quick do we recap. do we count what was it uh what was the Vin Diesel one blood the the variant comic blood not blood sport blood squirt blood sh- bloodshot yes bloodshot <laughs> no I know I don't because okay. he's not an actor anymore Chris he's a DJ now that's true he's is he I thought he was he's a musician DJ he, he's what oh he's the same thing he's a he's like an EDM artist oh okay yeah Good on him. Yeah. DJ yeah. Diesel. Just whatever profession you can go into that allows him to wear white beaters. Yeah. He'll be happy. <laughs> Just being on the beach all He'll the be time. He'll be a happy man. Um, yeah, I guess you're right. This is the only... Yeah. So I think shit. they're going to they're gonna get that boost that... Uh, what, was, what was the first movie that came out in... Trolls? Yes. Trolls did really well. Trolls did really well because it was the first new film to come out on streaming. Yeah. So I think that, that Wonder Woman's going to get that boost because yeah. it is, you know, people have been thirsting for a, a superhero film for a year now. Yeah. Everything's been pushed. So just for an action film. I feel we haven't had like an action film recently. No, I mean, there's been a lot of smaller stuff that's gone out on streaming, um, which is the nice thing about it is that it, I think those movies are getting eyeballs they wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah. Um, you know, things like Extraction. I've heard good things about Rogue, which is like the new Megan Fox Fights a Lion movie, which sounds terrible, Ooh. but I've heard good things, actually. Okay. Um, so I'm like, oh, I might go check that out. Um, but yeah, like, that's a good point. This might end up doing not better than it would have under other circumstances, but because it is the only film, mm-hmm. it might end up doing fairly well. I bet Disney's kind of pissed about this, actually. Oh, I'm sure they're very pissed, because Disney still has a good catalog for December. Yeah. I mean, they just had the Star Wars special come out. Oh, yeah, I gotta watch that. Mulan is coming off its $30 price tag December 3rd. Who cares? I know. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure someone's gonna watch someone, it. Yeah, someone. Actually, yeah, I'd rather have them watch it for free than... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I watched it for free, technically. So. You did. I didn't. <laughs> uh, Soul is obviously Christmas Day. Yeah, that's the thing is I bet Disney's pissed because they were probably banking on everyone sitting down to watch Soul, which I under other circumstances, I probably would have chosen that. But I was like, Same. well, yeah. it's Wonder Woman. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Yeah. So, like, sorry. sorry, Soul, you're going to wait till the 27th. Yeah. Um, but no, I think I think it is a very smart move. And, and kind of like you said, being kind of a rarity in the world still a female-led hero with a female director it is smart putting it out before black widow because they will in- inevitably be compared to each other yeah um but no i'm i'm excited i, I think it's yeah. a smart- oh and, and i'm sure they're gonna have some kind of like discount or something to promote like a holiday special yeah probably um so i don't know um <clears throat> yeah i i think I understand why they chose to do it this way. I understand why people are disappointed. They're not going to be seeing it in a theater. Mm-hmm. Um, I also understand why some people are probably really excited that they don't have to risk going to a theater to go see it. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, this is probably the best move they could have made under the circumstances. I think it's the smartest move. Yeah. yeah but I mean, that doesn't mean it's not disappointing for a number of reasons um but hey i mean i guess we, we finally have a bonus episode we get to do now at some point yay so. 
now that I don't love just burning through these shows. It kind it kind of helps actually. Yeah. This yeah. this might be the fastest we've gotten through a season. It absolutely is. I it and really I feel like is. I feel like I like we've just we're so we're moving too fast, Chris. I disagree. You're moving too fast for me. <laughs> I wholeheartedly disagree. <laughs> I want to I want to live in the shows. I want to I want to like take the time as the man has to do all the back end work on this. I don't have a problem with us burning through this. It's fair. Don't get me wrong, everybody. I love doing this podcast. I hate it. <laughs> you were probably waiting for a butt there. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. I do love doing this podcast. I yes. swear I love doing it. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. It'd be interesting to see what happens with Wonder Woman. Um, but with that, shall we go ahead and get into the the meat of the episode this Talk week? about some savage time. Our savage time. So Some Vandal Savage who's questionably immortal yeah they don't really they kind of dance around that and i think the reason is because that reveal will be saved for a later episode yes so um but no this one uh starts off with a more Green... savage time what a more savage a time. more savage time yes. savager time mm -hmm. yes uh this one starts out with green lantern towing the javelin from mission in deep space and uh batman's guiding them into the watchtower when a mysterious pulse from the planet, seemingly wipes the Watchtower from existence. So the League goes down to the planet to investigate and finds Metropolis has been Nazified. Yes. Do you think this is, like, what would happen in Back to the Future if there's a Green Lantern there? Sorry, what? Oh, <laughs> oh, like, when they go back in time and it yeah, becomes... Yeah, like, Back to the Future 2, Green Lantern's, like, off-world and he comes back and now it's Biff-world. Biff-world. Well, well, hang on, let's be honest. What would happen? This is the 80s. So it would have been Guy Gardner... It would have been Guy. And if he came back and discovered, like, Biff timeline, he, he would have been, been like, happier than a pig in shit. Yeah. He gets to run around and punch people. There's no one there of any sort of, like, moral authority telling him what he can and cannot do. This sounds like Guy Gardner's perfect world, actually. Yeah. He would get along well with he a would. Biff. He would be very good type. friends with Biff. Yeah. yeah. He'd be his bodyguard. He absolutely would be. <laughs> He'd do it for free. Yeah. Just for the joy of it. Just to say he did. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so now Metropolis has become very, very Nazified, um, and it's under the leadership of the one Vandal Savage. So I, I thought they did some kind of nice touches in terms of, um, establishing how this universe looks and feels differently. Like I thought the best example was that the, uh, the daily planet globe, instead of being just like a normal floating globe is like a ball inside of a fist, which has very, you know, strong authoritarian mm -hmm. overtones to yeah. it i kind of like that yeah but that was clever you know we have pictures of vandal savage everywhere and it just says leader down at the bottom of it yeah so you don't forget just yeah in case you woke up one morning it's like who's who's do we have a leader do we have a leader oh that don't guy. worry there's a poster on my ceiling staring at me yes it's mandatory well that means where they had the cameras that's absolutely true yeah the eyes follow you eyes yeah he's always looking at us he's always watching yes. that's our leader <laughs> always, always keeping a good eye on us. But I love that. I love that the the security patrol immediately asks for their papers, which is a very like World War II Nazi Germany sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I, I think I, I have to admit, I think part of the reason that I loved these episodes is it reminded me of Casablanca. That's fair. Which, as I've said so many times, is my favorite movie of all time. Yes. Bar none. And, you know, that's, of course, the whole thing. It's like the opening of Casablanca. It's like, I need to see your papers. And we get so we get so many demands for papers in this episode that it just it, it, it bridged those two little emotional points for me and found a nice little happy space. So I so I'd not seen these episodes before this. You had you never seen these. No, 
holy shit. Mm-hmm. We, we've, we've entered the point where I think now, whenever it's on Netflix, I'm usually like faded out by this point for some reason. Okay. From the past. Um, Wait, so did you know anything about these going in? Did you know? Like, I knew the, it was a time travel episode. Okay, but you didn't know... Because that's all you fucking nerds talk about all the time. <laughs> what, time travel? Yes. Yeah. Um, well, the, I mean, I guess you probably knew it was Vandal Savage, maybe from the title. Yes. Would be a guess. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, so when they landed in current Metropolis, I was very confused. Okay, you thought they were going to go straight to the past. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why we have this mid-bump. Yeah. Of like, oh, we're traveling to... Because I thought it was a parallel dimension. I didn't think it was time travel yet. Oh, okay. I'm like, like, oh, we're in like Earth. What, what's the Earth where they're still fighting World War II and they have Uncle Sam leads their version of the oh, Justice League? I don't, I don't know what number it is. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Earth... 45 earth patriot Act. Earth 39 yeah um no that would be the early 2000s <laughs> no, <it'd be> right. <laughs> um yeah i thought there was like weirdly going to this reality or this this parallel universe mm-hmm. and so it was like oh and now there's like a weird batman yeah because i don't think he ever like addressed himself as batman no yeah so that that's kind of the the cool thing about how this starts off is that, like I, I didn't realize this was a surprise for you. That must have been really interesting to watch because they show up in, in Nazi-fied Metropolis and then this armored Batman who doesn't have a symbol on his chest like that, but he's wearing like kind of like military armor. Yeah, it's then, like a lighter version of Dark Knight Returns yeah, suit. He kind of looks like RoboCop. A little bit of RoboCop, A little, bit, little yeah. bit of RoboCop, yeah. It's like he has a helmet on with bat ears on it, but like there's no even discernible eyes mm-hmm. on the, the cow. It's just like a, a blank face. Which I actually think is a very effective way of showing that, like, somehow this version of Batman is even darker than the one. We also we know this version is not afraid to use a gun. Yeah, yeah. So we we kind of get the the backstory here on this one, which is that in you know this reality, uh, the Allies lost World War Two, and as a result, Vandal Savage conquered the whole rest of the world, including the United States. And, you know, so the entire country has been living in a, you know, repressive authoritarian regime for the last 60 years um, in comparison to the last four. So in this universe, uh, Batman's parents were murdered because they spoke out against the government. Mm-hmm. And so he became kind of a, a pseudo version of Batman. But yeah, he uses guns. He's got like a whole like armada, a whole militia down there, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. And yeah, I know it, I didn't read all of batman inc but it definitely gave me the thought of batman inc mm-hmm. of him like oh they're all orphans uh or all people that you know lost our parents from the from the the not nazis yeah exactly the i guess in in world war ii they referred to just as the axis as they were yes. in the real world but yeah I guess. so yeah they're just not allowed to say nazi i guess i i there were definitely some restrictions on what they can say and do and include like i know they weren't allowed to show swastikas which is why they go for like the um the uh, soldier yeah i forget the stormtrooper the, yeah exactly like the yeah i guess i don't the know if SS, it's, yeah. i guess it's the ss logo instead i mean it, a lot of the the visuals are still there like it's still the red armbands the white circles and the black logo it's just not a swastika and they never directly say hitler they never directly say nazis um, but they don't even have real German accents. They're just very bad German accents. No. But I, mean, I do kind of love it because it's mostly the primary voice cast is then doing German accents throughout. Yeah. Like you definitely hear Phil Lamar at one point. Michael Rosenbaum is like the uh, the interrogator. Mm-hmm. It's kind of fun. It is very fun. It is fun to hear like, you know, you kind of listen and keen on the cameos. Um, but yeah, so now the, the new version of Batman is leading this resistance. 
And there's a, I thought they packed a lot of really cool details into a short space. You know, because in this world, he's not driving around in a Batmobile. He's taking control of a, a train, like an underground metro train. And even the secret entrance to, like, the, the Batcave, which is now buried in, like, an old subway station, feels very reminiscent of the 60s. Like, the caution sign that falls down and the rock wall that disappears. Like, that is totally pulled from the 1960s TV show. Yeah. Um, I love that they have the, the Beatons Batmobile. You can see it off in the cuff off the side. Oh, I missed it. You missed it. Yeah, it's like when they first arrive, like when the first big kind of panning shots over this this quote unquote back cave. So we see like you know what looks like the traditional back computer up in the upper level. We come down and off to the side, you just see the nose end of the BTOS Batmobile, mm. like the long nose and the grill. But you also see a massive tank cannon on top of it. So it's like this different nice. version that's heavily so, militarized. So does that mean that Wayne Enterprise still exists in this? In this parallel world, I I think probably to some degree. Because I mean, I mean, because he did all this through Wayne R and D. Yeah, I, I would guess that yeah, like his parents were probably still wealthy, prominent citizens. Um, because you know, even in most Batman continuities, like they are you know social advocates and they kind of speak out against crime and corruption. And then uh, other versions, they are crime and corruption, but. I think in this one we can assume that like they were still good people who had still good values in Bruce and then they were killed for their thoughts. But I think Wayne Enterprises probably existed maybe then. I don't know if it would have continued to exist up to this point or if Batman, you know, has there he, I've I figured this version has no alter ego, right? Even the yes. fact that he never calls himself Batman, the fact that he explains his origin. Um I guess he never says his name, because that would have been a tip off to the whole rest of the league who don't know Batman's secret identity, right? Superman. But he, I don't think there is a version of Bruce Wayne that exists in the version of Batman. I think it's just one person who's this resistance fighter who's adopted this, this mm-hmm. bat persona. Yes. But uh, we see some familiar faces too, which is kind of cool. He very, very quickly. I had to rewind to like make sure I wasn't just like seeing things. Yeah. So we see uh, Dick and Barbara together. They're clearly a couple as mm-hmm. it should be, not Bruce and Barbara. Right. Just still weird. Uh, we see Tim in the background with a character who looks very close to Annie from um, Growing Pains. That was Clayface? The Clayface episode. Okay. The, the girl. Yeah. I mean, yes. it's clearly not the same because that girl was never real. Mm-hmm. She was Clay. But in this version, I think I mean, was, we don't know if there's a Nazi Clayface. But wait. Okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure even if there's a Nazi Clayface, I don't think that this version of Clayface also splintered off a piece of himself that is now hanging out with Robin. We don't know. We don't know how many things change from, from universe to universe. Yeah. And it's the same universe. You need to stop saying it that way. From yeah. Timeline to timeline. Exactly. I mean, it, it would have been kind of interesting to see more of this world. Mm-hmm. I do think it's, I actually only thought about this just now. It is interesting that this version of Batman operates out of Metropolis, not Gotham. Yeah. I didn't even think weird. about that. Yeah. But I mean, they had to do a very condensed version. Um, but yes, like we now know that someone or something went back in time and changed history so that the Axis won. And so now the Justice League has to go back and have 48 hours to fix that yes. mistake, whatever there, it was. There's that great moment of just like awkward pause from Superman where they mm-hmm. realize they can they can time travel and go back. Mm-hmm. And Batman's like, so you can save my parents? They're like, oh, like, sorry. I've been to many universes and your parents are dead in every single one of them. all of them. Yeah. I don't know what it is about this, but your parents have the worst luck of any human (laughs) in any version of the multiverse. 
But like, isn't there like some term in science fiction to describe? It's like, I don't want to say like a, a linchpin, but it's, it's a term like that. It's based like, this is like an unchangeable event in yes, the yeah. universe. Like it, this will always happen no matter what. I feel like the death of the Waynes is one of those things. Mm-hmm. Except the Flashpoint version where Bruce is dead. Exactly. Yeah. So someone's got to die. Yeah. Someone's got to die and someone's got to spill pearls all over mm-hmm. the sidewalk. And someone's got to make a really boring title sequence about it. Yeah, exactly. An increasingly slower and slower motion. Yes. <laughs> I feel like by the time we get to the Batman, it's going to be like, like just frames. Yeah. Like one at a time. Like each individual frame, 24 at a time, watching his parents die. Yeah, well, it's going to be Rob at Bat and Bat holding up the pages. Yes, And true. doing like, like a flip book style. <laughs> like the opening of Shrek telling a story. Yes. <laughs> Once upon a time. In a, a happy lovely place couple. Gotham. In a happy dreary place called Gotham. There's just like blood all over the book. A mommy Wayne and a daddy Wayne loved each other very much yes. and created a baby Wayne. And that's me. That's me. <laughs> Yeah, but no, they're 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 dead no matter what. Um, but yeah, so like the Justice League now has to go back to World War II and figure out what the hell happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Vandal Savage did something. Yes. We don't know what yet. Yeah. What did he do? He gave him a computer. Give him a laptop. <laughs> which I guess is enough power to create super weapons that are stronger than modern weapons. Exactly. Yeah. But also, di- okay. Here, so yeah, we we eventually come to learn that Vandal Savage didn't actually go back in time. He he left a laptop with a, an older version of himself, or a younger version, younger of version of himself. Yeah. From the past, who would now be an older. Doesn't matter. Um, he left a laptop containing not only. Um, like information how to build more advanced weapons and yes you're right that we even have today but also the history of world war ii mm-hmm. so now all of a sudden the axis knows that d-day is going to happen on june 6 1944 they know it's going to happen in normandy they now know what to do to counteract the things that would have tipped the tide of the war in favor of the allies which gives them an advantage and it, it makes savage so capable and that the rest of German high command basically lets him usurp Hitler and put him in a cryo tube so that now Vandal Savage, all Austin Powers. Yes. Yes. To tie it back again. Uh, So now that Vandal Savage is the new Fuhrer, the new head of the German military, Um, which is probably a better way to go. I think it would have been in poor taste if the justice league actually fought Hitler. I mean, they have many times they have. Well, some versions i know i know some versions of dc history say that like hitler possessed i want to say the the spear of destiny or something like that he basically possessed some sort of mythical weapon that prevented the heroes from interfering in the war at least Mm -hmm. i know that's the version that um they use in new frontier darwin cook's new frontier got it so but yeah like that's the interesting thing is that in dc comics there were heroes during this time period i mean all of them were created at the time batman superman wonder woman um the jsa Mm -hmm. they all existed but in this version they don't right but we 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 will meet heroes momentarily yes that also existed around i mean i think i looked it up uh easy command oh uh yeah sergeant rock and easy company easy company that's what they're called yeah yeah they were a little later they they're more vietnam they oh were, okay i think their first issue was like 57 or 59 that would have been korea korea yeah sorry yeah <laughs> i don't know my history it's fine 
Yeah, we get them. We get the Blackhawks. Yeah, which is really cool. That was fun to see. Yeah, it's so like they they instead choose to go for more grounded. Um, and obviously, Steve Trevor. And Steve well, Trevor. So yeah, exactly. It's so like they ranch. went for more grounded, like non superhero heroes that are in here, which I thought was nice too. I thought that it added um, a little bit of texture, and I think it helps overall in a weird way justify this universe. Yeah, because because we also have already done the the universe that already has old heroes. Yeah, with legends. Yeah. And so I, I think it's cool to like, yeah, like these are just, and especially for like Wonder Woman's storyline, mm-hmm. talking with Stephen Trevor, Steve Trevor. No, no, no. He, he likes to be dressed as Stephen sometimes. Yes. Properly. Stephen Trevor. Mr. Trevor. Um, About like, you know, their, their whole conversation of like, you don't have powers, then why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Like, well, you know, everyone has something to die for. Yeah. Someone's got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously like Green Lantern's story, I think is for me the most powerful mm-hmm. because he's a green lantern <laughs> yes of course he's your favorite but that's i think one of the clever things this episode does is you know right from the beginning they jump into battle they're fighting with these like giant wheeled spiky tank things which are nearly indestructible because even superman can't get through them yeah superman's arc through these three episodes changes a lot where at the beginning he's hurt by normal bullets he's hurt by a laser blast when they're in you know the parallel timeline yeah and you're like what but by the end of the episode he's one he's punching bullets which i think is very fun yes uh but also he just looks bored by <laughs> the bullets that are bouncing off of him well, that, that is, like, overall, I really like these episodes. I think one thing it was a little ugh, sloppy with was that it nerfed the heroes. Mm-hmm. So those of you who don't know the term nerf, it's, I think I'm using this right. Do you know what nerfing is? Yes, it's a gaming term. I'm very, very familiar with nerfing. Okay, well, then, Cameron, why don't you explain it? Because this is far more your forte Nerfing than is just depowering something. Yeah. yeah so named after- nerfing and buffing are kind of the, the, the antagonists of each other. That's not the right word. The um, parallels of each other apotheoses yes there we go is that right yeah if you buff something up you you make it better if you nerf something you make it worse usually in in video games they do like consistent patches they'll like fighting games are big with this they'll kind of buff characters and make them better and nerf characters that are too strong like the, like oh, we see here sorry no no, no. I, I had this wrong apotheosis is the highest point in the development of something a culmination or climax is not the opposite of something sorry how dare you well you know I how dare to- you make me look dumb <laughs> No, I mean, I'm correcting myself, Cameron. <laughs> yes. Yes. Go on. No, that was it. That's oh, nerfing. nerfing. Okay. Yeah. Nerfing is named after nerf the guns, right? Like take a normal gun and like a nerf gun is a weak version of a normal oh, gun, right? Oh, I guess kind of. Isn't it? Sure. Isn't, that what it's come, isn't that where it comes from? I never thought of that. I just assumed. Yeah. I never questioned where it came from. Well, maybe you should start asking questions, Cameron. I should start asking questions. Otherwise, you'd fit in very well in this new universe we have, <laughs> in the Savage timeline here. Um... But yeah, like they, they nerf the heroes. Like Superman, let's be honest. You put, if you were to drop either Superman, Wonder Woman, Martian Manhunter, or Green Lantern with a fully charged ring into World War II, they could turn the tide of that thing in weeks. Yeah. Pretty much. Like they are all like nigh unstoppable characters with huge, huge power sets. And I think sometimes they're clever about how they kind of curb people. Like, I think it's really smart for them to have GL lose his, like, his ring is drained. Mm-hmm. So he has to become, like, a normal Marine again. And it's a really cool arc. I think if you were to pick it apart, it would be kind of silly. Like, you'd think that the Green Lantern rings would have a way to, like, emergency draw the lantern out of the parallel dimension it's kept in in the event that it's about to die so it can charge. Because otherwise, 
you would never be able to charge it because how the fuck do you get that thing out of there? Yeah. That aside, that aside, that's clever. But I think the problem is like Superman and Martian Manhunter, they just weaken them. They just don't have them do anything really crazy. Like Superman could take out an entire squad of German warplanes in seconds. Seconds, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, a man who can move faster than the human eye can perceive it could go through and take all those things out in a blink of an eye. Wonder Woman could thrash them very fast too. Same with Martian Manhunter. Hawk like, Girl. I mean, yeah. Hawk Girl, they don't nerf too much because she's very much just like, hey, fuck this. I'm going to blow everything yeah. up. Yeah. And I like how they always handle Hawk Girl because she will jump into a fray that, you know, a any of the other ones could jump into and be fine. And like, she is definitely more vulnerable than the rest, but she's just so goddamn tenacious that she's just going to wreck shit anyways. Yeah. She's not going to hold back. And I think they do a good job with her, but the rest, I don't know. Well, I was going to say, the way they nerf this episode is they just take Batman out. Yeah. If they put, because I was thinking about this. If they put Batman in Martian Manhunter's position, because they basically just made Martian Manhunter be Batman for this. Yeah. And he's very bad at it. Well, yeah, he's a bad Batman. Yeah. I mean, because in this universe, he's not also detective. Yes. So. So if this was, they could have easily made this a two-part episode. The, wow. They made it Batman. Wow. Hang on. Camera. Are I you, know. I you know. You are advocating for a reduction in the I'm number of episodes? I'm for a bit of a reduction in these episodes. Are you because, high? Because Manhunter's, ep- Manhunter's arc is so much less compared to the other, the other characters. Like, the other characters have something to root them here. Yeah. And, and Manhunter doesn't. He gets captured immediately. He finds a laptop. Yeah. Well, yeah, and let's... I, I think... Then he beats up a... a the German torture artist. Yeah. A, a Nazi torture dude played by uh, Michael Rosenbaum. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you're right. I think the best way to look at this is like a character by character basis. So let's go ahead and start with Martian Manhunter. Cause yeah, they, so the, everyone kind of jumps into a big fray and then they kind of immediately splinter off. Like Martian Manhunter decides he's going to go to Berlin to see what's happening with German high command. Wonder Woman accompanies him up to a point. She ends up going off on her own missions. And then for the rest of the time, it's mostly just Jean on his own heading out to Berlin. And uh, I did make note, he gets captured at 1916 in the, the runtime, not the year, but the, <laughs> the, the... He travels back even further. Even further. Uh, no, he gets captured at... He's, 19- sto- he's stopping him at the root. He's stopping at World yes, War I. Exactly. Well, actually, technically, if you want to stop the root of World War II, you would just have to not hold Germany accountable for World War I, and right. then things would have been different. But Yeah. yeah. Just don't put the debt on them. Yeah, exactly. It was actually the Versailles Treaty that kind of fucked everything over. Yeah. I don't know. I own a copy of John F. Kennedy's book about all that why England slept. I tried to read it once, and it was kind of dense and boring. Yeah, it's fair. But I own a copy, so it looks cool on my shelf. You look like you, you're you very well read. I look real, real smart. Yes. Yeah. I don't. It's just wedged in there between a bunch of comic books. Yeah. So, But anyways, so yeah, March Manhunter goes off to go investigate German High Command, and yeah, he gets captured, which... I want to acknowledge the 1916 thing because that is pretty late into an episode. That is like the first time that March Manhunter really gets taken out when we've been seeing him get taken out at like 30 seconds into episodes so far. Well, did he get hit? He got hit in the, um, the battle. When they're fighting the tank, right? I think so. But like, he's not like, he's not down. He's not down. Like that's yes. the thing. He gets down so often, but I, I guess also he was, Playing a long con, right? Because he gets so he goes out to World War or to to Berlin. I don't know; it's a little bit confusing. Because he goes <laughs> to Berlin, he, that's where he discovers the laptop. Because he's held, he's captured and held in Savage's, I guess, like lab, his laboratory, mm-hmm. where he keeps both his prisoner 
and the most valuable piece of technology in the entire world, the laptop. Yes. Which I'm kind of curious. Do you think, one, do you think Savage sent a charger I back? I was just about to ask that. With the laptop. And if he did... One, did he send back a universal adapter to make sure that... I was also about to ask that. Because, like, I mean, okay, yeah, it's in Berlin, but, you know, they might be traveling to to France. I can't remember. I think think they're on the same plug. I think UK has its own, and I think the rest of... Oh, I think, well, now, just the EU has its own. But also, what did outlets look like in 1940? Did they have outlets in 1940? They must have. 1944? 45? 44? I don't know. I don't know either. Yeah. I don't, yeah. yeah. Either that or the other answer is that Vandal Savage had created a perpetual laptop, a laptop that cannot die. Maybe it's solar powered. Eh, okay, there's that. Okay, that makes more sense. I was going to say, other than that, he invented a laptop that would like completely change modern society. It would make him way more powerful than if he controlled the world through fear and intimidation. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess we should also bring that up. The reason he's he took over World War II is Future Savage mm-hmm. realized that that is the last chance for him to become a world conqueror. Yeah. I mean, it's... Which makes sense. It actually does make sense. Know, yeah. All the heroes come after this. Yes. Well, that too, and it was the last time that literally the entire world was actively engaged in a conflict. You know, from that point on, it was just, you know, splinter atrocities. Yeah. Happening around the world. Um, but yeah, so he, there's this laptop and John's kept there and that's when he learns that like, oh, Hitler's been usurped and Savage is now in control, but also he escapes quite easily, but he escapes off screen, which is a little bit confusing to me because he's being held in like the, the classic, like vertically oriented laboratory table with like manacles up at the top. And I'm like, is that start in James Bond? That feels very Bond. I don't, uh, it is very Bond. I don't know if it started. It's very Bondage. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. It is. Um, I don't know if it started in Bond, but the first use of it in Bond would, of course, been in the uh, the very infamous Goldfinger sequence of "Do you expect me to talk?" No, Mister Bond. I expect, I expect you, you to, to die. die when he's got the laser beam pointed at his dick. Yes. Um, I, yeah, I don't know if it started there, but I, I think Bond um, definitely popularized it. Popularized it. Yeah, I think it, yeah. Bond established that trope of, you know, being held prisoner sort of thing. But I guess Martian Manhunter does end up phasing out of it. It's a little bit weird because, again, it all happens off screen. Yeah, what I expected from that scene, I don't know how you felt, was we see the the torture artist go in. Is it weird to call him an artist? I was going to say, it's very kind of you, I mean, to to bestow upon him the title of artist. Yeah. I mean, he probably considers what he does a form of art. Yeah. Yeah. The torture, the torture dude. Yeah, yeah, as they would have called him in 1944 in Nazi Germany. Hey, yes. torture dude. Yes, the the torturer. Yes, um, he goes the human in torturer. Hear, yes, the, thank you. We get a human torture reference. We do. I know. Um, he goes in. We hear screams, and then he walks out, and he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna need my my better tools for this." Yeah, which also means that John knows about like torture devices, but that's beyond the point. I mean, it's very possible that the human torturer said something along the lines of like, "Oh, I'm going to need better tools than this to get what I want out of you." Yes. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm already exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he walks out, and then they go, and then the guards hear moaning from the inside, and they realize that. 
that it was John that had escaped and he'd shape shifted into the torturer. Human torturer. Yes. As we're calling him. Um, and German Michael Rosenbaum is still inside <laughs> the room. But I thought it was going to be a, a switch. I thought that he didn't phase out. Right. But as German Michael Rosenbaum left, mm-hmm. he had just turned into him to confuse the guards. Yeah. Same. I was expecting uh, that ruse. Yes, but that's what Batman would do. That is what Batman would do. As um, we saw in that episode before. Justice for All. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's a little bit weird. So, I mean, I, I guess if we're treating the progression... Because that plotline doesn't go anywhere after that. Well, yeah, he, he just overhears that they're planning an invasion, which everyone else kind of already knew. So it doesn't really add a lot to the story. So if we're going to assume that every step of Martian Manhunter's story was intended and not just figured out beat by beat... Um, I think his plan when, when he's attacked and like briefly weakened is to pretend to be captured so we can learn more information, mm-hmm. um, which is still seems a little bit silly, but Hey, it more or less works. But yeah, yeah, ultimately he just figures out that there's an invasion planned, but we kind of already. Yeah. And then he smashes that. the the laptop instead That's of just true. taking it with him for some reason. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Probably would have been better to take it with him. Yeah. Take it with him and smash it. Yeah. Cause you don't want that technology in the past. Yeah. I was going to say phase it into the center of the earth yeah exactly or drop it out in the ocean yeah throw it throw it into this throw into space yeah exactly a lot of things he could have done differently yeah um but yeah that's kind of overall his story i think it's mostly fine um to your point it basically just what it's what batman would normally be doing but worse but worse yeah but done in three parts instead of one one <laughs> ten minutes yeah but so i i honestly don't remember at what point one woman gets separated from from March Manhunter, but she goes off on her own mission and she gets paired with Steve Trevor, mm-hmm. who's trying to find a German codebreaker to uh, crack into a communicator. Yeah. And oh, learn. it's so, so in it, part one, you meet Savage. Cause I, I thought these, these scenes were flipped. I think they should have been flipped. Mm-hmm. You meet Savage, you realize that he's the new Fuhrer. And then there's an alarm that goes off and you see Steve Trevor had just stolen something and he's taking the plane out. They crash the plane. Wonder Woman catches him. And that's when they split off. Oh, that's right. Him. That's right, yeah. So they end up splitting off because they're trying to crack a, a communicator to learn what the, the Axis plans are. Yes. And I think... I really like this storyline of pairing Wonder Woman with Steve Trevor. And I think they do a good job giving them, like, genuine chemistry yes. throughout I, their segment. Yes, I, I, I think it's the second best storyline. Yeah, I'd agree with that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, yeah, I mean, I love Steve Trevor in this. It, it is oozing with Chris Pine energy. It, it is. I mean... And like they do, they do a pretty damn good job here. But I'm sorry, you, you can't beat Chris Pine energy. No, I mean Chris Pine was deemed worthy to succeed as Captain Kirk. Yeah, and to do it and to actually be charming and sexy rather than creepy. Yeah. So mm. God, I love Chris Pine. I can't wait to see him on Christmas Day. Oh my God, I know me too. I can't wait to have him in my house on Christmas Day. Mm. Um. Anyways, um. Yeah, we we get some we get some time with Steve Trevor. He's he's great in this. You know, he's very much the uh, the swab gentleman spy here. You know, like operating behind enemy lines in World War II in a in a full suit. Yeah, beautiful double breasted brown suit. Very nice. Yes, um, hair perfectly coiffed. Again, know. he's Chris Pine. He's Chris Pine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's just Chris Pine. But though they they have a lot of really nice banter together, and they and one of the few slowed down kind of quieter moments of these three parts is the two of them are, are waiting to meet up with this German code breaker. Um, and Chris Pine just magically like shows up with a bottle of wine and caviar that he, you know, foraged out of some random yeah, French yeah, house. Out of the rubble yeah. of this destroyed castle. But honestly, 
it works in that moment. Like you do buy that this guy would take the time to enjoy himself in this moment. Like he clearly takes his job very seriously, but he also loves his job. Like he loves being a spy. Yeah. Like th- this is very Bond inspired. Um, and me being the huge Bond fan that I am, I think like Steve Trevor actually kind of works better than Bond in some ways. Cause like Bond is also primarily concerned with like his ego. And I think it's like overly obsessed with like the trappings of his luxurious lifestyle that he has as an underpaid British employee. Yeah. But I think Steve Trevor here like finds thrill in the danger of all of it. And I, I don't think he's, I don't think he plans to live to tomorrow. And so he's just going to enjoy himself while he's doing it. Yeah. That, that's a good way to describe him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he's very much taken with Wonder Woman. Understandably so. Yeah. It's his angel. It is his angel. I, I love that he calls her angel and it, it doesn't feel condescending in any no. sort of way. And, and I think you, you run the risk of a character like that coming off as being, you know, a little bit misogynistic or condescending to, to Wonder Woman. But, like, he's clearly in awe of her. But he also... That doesn't, you know, ruffle his confidence at all. Right. And I don't think Wonder Woman's met anyone quite like him, that he has that sort of just, like, you know, uh, indefatigable confidence without also being dark and broody all the time like Batman I was going to say, it's, yeah. just, it's just what if Batman wasn't brooding? Yeah, what if Batman wasn't just constantly moping all the time? It's Chris Pine. It's Chris Pine, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so they go off. They realize that the code breaker they were meeting up with uh, had kind of not sold them out. That that's that's being he, rude to him. He was captured and interrogated. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so they they there's a great fight sequence where Wonder Woman beats up an entire horde of Nazis. Yeah. While Steve Trevor is trying to like I guess load his gun in a ditch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because he has that moment where like they've they've had dinner and all of a sudden they they're getting shot at from outside the cabin. Um, they realize they've been, to your point, not sold out, but you know the the enemy now knows where they are, and he hands her the communicators like get this out of here, like I'll go distract the enemy, leave. Like this is him assuming that like he's got to be the one in charge of this. So he goes and takes out one guy, ends up in a ditch, and then one Roman just takes out the entire platoon by herself. Yes, because she can. I don't. I was I was gonna say with this like they have all these military vehicles and and the whole platoon there. And they're they're like the, all the lights are moving like side to side, and I'm like, Wonder Woman, just fly up. She doesn't even have to though. Yeah, she doesn't. Yeah, she does like a good fight. Yeah, she loves a good fight, and she can just totally hand them their asses. Yeah, and hand she, them their German asses. And she did. She does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so then the the two go to where oh, so yeah, Wonder Woman I guess interrogates her own guy. Uh, yeah, and. and they, I assume she used the lasso of truth. But I read... I read the same thing. You can tell it then. Okay, that it's in a later episode that the lasso is imbued with the ability to interrogate people and to force people to seek the truth. So that being said, in this case, she basically just finds a way to get the information out of someone herself, which I feel like she could do from multiple ways. Like we've seen that she can just intimidate someone or she can just flirt with them until they give her what she wants. Mm-hmm. Then she can just clock them and done with it. Yeah. Yeah. She's awesome. Uh, so then they go to a castle, another castle. There's a lot of castles. A lot of castles. A lot of castles. Yeah. Um, a lot of bombed out castles. But this one isn't bombed out. This one's, this one's just a prison. That's true. It's not yet bombed out. 
Yes, where they find the code breaker and they realize that it was just a trap. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's the the episode two closing. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's an okay cliffhanger. Fade to black. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love the the episode one fade to black. Oh, which is GL behind Against enemy three, lines yeah, alone with, with, with no giant. power ring. Yeah. yeah. No, um, we'll get to his stories. I think I think I agree with you. That's the best one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Wonder Woman, like once again, she, well, she, it's kind of cool here. Instead of just taking out everyone, her big thing is that she protects the Codebreaker. She protects Steve, Steve Trevor with like a mattress slash her body from getting crushed by one of those big wheelie thingies. Mm-hmm. And then they pretend that the communicator has been destroyed. And I sneak love away. That. that. That is such a smart yeah. trick. And it, it shows that she, she's capable of more than just fighting. Like she is smart. And I think this seems like something she would have learned from the league. Yes. I feel like. Like, this doesn't seem like an inherently Wonder Woman approach to a conflict, but it's definitely the sort of subterfuge you'd expect from, I think, particularly Batman. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like even, like, a GL or a Hawk Girl would, would think of a move like this. I don't think Hawk Girl. Okay, yeah, you're right. She would just smash things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's very much a Batman move. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's kind of where their story ends yeah and then they eventually crack the communicator and that's when they come to realize that uh oh right the, the best line yeah that they're invading america they're going for america <laughs> yeah how could they that the, from the computer vandal savage had basically future vandal had taught past vandal what a jet engine is he had taught them how to manufacture jet engines with modern technology because it is worth noting that germany had invented and deployed jet fighters by the end of World War II. Um, but it was very early stage of that technology. It was literally the first iteration of it. So it wouldn't be enough to power a, um, you know, like a, a, a invade, like an invasion aircraft, much less even like a bomber or something like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he's taught the Axis how to build modern, I mean, beyond modern ships. Like Yeah, no, we, we still don't have this technology. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that is, like, the the... Planes the ultimate end up building are on par with like the the massive warplane from um, the world's finest, the Batman Superman crossover, mm-hmm. like that giant wing sort of thing. But this one doesn't have a big Joker smiling face on it. Yes, sadly. But yeah, that's kind of where their story ends. And then you know, one Roman leaves Steve Trevor behind and joins with Martian Manhunter to then go join the fight. But while all this has been going on, which has a great like when when she meets up with with the rest of the team when they're fighting the the ships, mm-hmm. it's a great great intro for her. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Hot Girl makes comments like, "Oh, like this is gonna be tough." Oh, when isn't it? Something along those lines. Yeah. And busts in and fights. But so while this has been going on, uh, Hot Girl and Flash Superman have basically stayed with the Allied military forces. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting about, so initially they evacuate a town and that's where John gets left behind. I think we'll do his storyline last. But then what's interesting is when we kind of meet up again with that crew, they're essentially helping a retreat at Normandy. Yeah. Like they're putting men, they're putting equipment back on the boats to get out of there because the, the coastline, the cliffs of Normandy are covered in these massive wheeled cannon things. Um, have you ever, been to normandy i've not i went when i went to um, paris a few years ago i went um it is probably to this day one of the most awe-inspiring places i've ever been in my entire life oh interesting and it was it was interesting because when i went it was in august and it was like beautiful i mean like apparently that summer had been like nothing but like terrible weather especially in scotland which is where i was visiting um friend and former guest on the show alec oh 
and uh, it'd been terrible. And I show up and like brought California weather with me. And so it's like, it's 90 degrees in Paris. We're in, in August. It's beautiful. We head up to Normandy. Like it was like, it, the thing is Normandy is a tiny little like seaside resort village, basically. Like it is beautiful, picturesque, like these incredible gorgeous beaches. But also you're aware of the history mm-hmm. while you're standing there. Like you, you're aware of like how many people died and like what happened there at the same time as you're in like one of the most picturesque beach vistas you've ever been in your entire life. Um, and then it's like, it's like visiting seaside Florida where they filmed Truman show. And it's sure. like, wow, this place is cool. But like, wow, they filmed Truman show here. Yes. It, it, it is that same sort of like emotional heft. Okay. Then yes, I understand what <laughs> yeah, you're you understand what I'm talking about. And, and okay. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Totally the same thing. Um, but then the, the cliffs, like there are still, um, they've left a lot of stuff behind. You can actually go into bunkers oh, that's cool. out there. Like you can go into, and you walk into these bunkers, you know, what were German bunkers that had been bombed and sieged. And, you know, it's just nothing but craters and bullet holes all through the inside of this concrete because they're intact as they were, um, including some of the old gun emplacements, which have been dearmed, obviously, but like they're still there. Um, but then there's this, uh, massive, um, cemetery there for like all the soldiers who mm-hmm. died. And that is absolutely incredible. Um, so every good chance go, it's really, really awe inspiring. But I mean, I, I hadn't seen this episode since it originally aired more or less. So I hadn't seen it since I'd been there. Yeah. And so it, it, it did kind of ring a little bit differently emotionally having like experienced to some degree, obviously not what happened in the forties there, but just having experienced that place. Um, yeah. Cause even on that point, does this new future celebrate the same kind of D day? Well, no, I mean, it would have been a defeat, right? Like, yeah. I mean, we see that the just league is helping them retreat. So like they would, the, you know, D day would have happened, but ended in disaster. It wouldn't have- celebrate like the seventh instead. I mean, the seventh isn't the, isn't D day the sixth. Yeah. Yeah, so they'd celebrate the next day when they won. It, I mean, I don't know. Well, they wouldn't have won then. It's just like D-Day was the turning point or the beginning of the turning point for the Allies. Yes. So instead, I guess, I don't know what they, they probably would have celebrated their version of like VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, but mm-hmm. it would have been like, we won, we're evil and we won. Yeah. Yeah. What okay. Japan? Oh, it doesn't matter. Um but yeah, so like they're they're basically helping a retreat, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Like that's how bad things are going, and like they stop off at a camp, and like you know, Hot Girl has to explain to the Flash why she had to leave John behind. It's like these soldiers were dying. I had to bring them back here. I had to make a bad call, but it was the only call that I could have made. Mm-hmm. Um, I also caught. Did you catch this too? The the cameo in the um, the medical ward there of the unknown soldier. I didn't. It wasn't even, I thought it was interesting. It wasn't credited on the DCAU wiki, but that's a, a, a DC Comics character, the Unknown Soldier. I don't know much about him. I just know his look, which is he's got, you know, bandages all over his face. He kind of looks like Hush. Okay. Oh, yeah, because I saw him and I, I thought it might have been um, Negative Man. He looks a lot like ne- Negative Man, yeah. Um, but it's not. It's the Unknown Soldier. But it was weird that he wasn't even, like, uncredited, acknowledged anywhere mm-hmm. that I found. But he's kind of... I mean, that's, that's just for Bruce. That's just for Bruce. He's just stashed away in there. Um, but yeah, and then ultimately they, that group ends up meeting up with the Blackhawks and they go on a raid to take out this factory and it's at the factory. They, that's when they realize like, oh, these are jet engines that are being built here. Mm -hmm. We're fucked. Yeah. The, the dog fighting scenes, first off, very hard to animate. Dog fights fucking suck. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, Because planes are not easy to draw and then 
drawing planes in multiple angles mm-hmm. is extra difficult. But these scenes are gorgeous. They are. They're they're really they really such well a good animated. Job with these animated with these dog fights. Yeah, and there's a lot and of. They go on for so long. It's long, It's a good. <laughs> these are expensive scenes. This, yeah. this, is, this is an expensive episode. I think it goes on for I don't know probably about three four minutes something like that. Like it's per a, episode. Yeah, it's it's an extended dogfight sequence, and you know you have the you have the German planes, you have the the Blackhawks, and they're kind of cool like slightly futuristic looking fighters. Um, you have all the heroes going through and, and taking out the planes and fighting and stuff. It's it's a huge scale in terms mm-hmm. of a, a battle and an animation. Yeah, I thought they did a really nice job with it. Yeah, I I also wonder. Going, sorry, I'm, I'm bouncing all over the place yeah. here. Going going back to the idea of them retreating. There is kind of the, you know, the time travel paradox if you don't want to change too much. And I wonder if like Superman specifically was like, oh, like we can't change the future so like i can't just go and win the war for them so i need to kind of play out what they would do as if i weren't here and i'm just kind of speeding up things that they're already making like he's not leading anything Hmm. maybe i mean obviously you know they don't care about time travel paradoxes yet yeah i'd say you that is a, a very um very kind of you to think that that's what they were going for there yes I think they just had to find a way to make the, to not just have them clean up real fast mm-hmm. and to like to draw out and make it feel like an actual battle. Um, I, cause I think from them, like the stakes are pretty damn high. Like they have to change and they don't know what's been changed specifically. Like we get all these different pieces. If you think about the, the Superman flash hot girl group, they don't know yet. Um, that it was a laptop that changed everything, that it was all focused mm-hmm. around Vandal Savage. They just know that the the war is not going the way it should. And I would think that they would be trying everything they can to just turn the tide back regardless of specific consequences. Yes. Because, I mean, that is ultimately the, the problem with any, like, storyline like this about going back and changing a change is once you do that, everything has changed. Like, there's no way to undo a change. Uh, you know, the change is going to happen no matter what. I thought you were going to go a different route with that, with knowing what they don't know. And that two of the three of them are products of the American education system and probably did not learn very good about <laughs> World War II. They didn't learn good? They didn't learn good, Chris. <laughs> I mean, I, I... I'm like, look, I know a lot of people that, that grew up in that Kansas, Kansas education system. And I'll tell you what... They didn't learn so good. <laughs> they didn't learn so good. I mean, uh, yeah, that might be that might be true. I mean, I feel like <laughs> okay, the Flash definitely did not pay attention to history. No, Superman definitely did. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, Superman would know his his U.S. history pretty yes, damn well because I'm a human and I need human history. Yeah, and like I mean, Hawkeye doesn't care. I think uh, no, she doesn't care. She doesn't know. She's from Thanagar. What the? She no. doesn't know any of this sort of stuff. Doesn't even know where her planet is. Yeah, I, I think also for. For better or worse, um, like World War II and just World Wars in general are are highly focused points of the American U.S. history curriculum. So, I'm I'm trying to remember how much we focused on World War II because most of the time you have that problem in in history classes where like you you dredge on so long for you know like. 600 500 400 300 200 years ago yeah that once you get to kind of the past 100 to 50 years of history it's super condensed at least that's how it was for me 
or like you're yeah. almost trying to catch up because you run out of time in class. There is a little bit of that. Yeah, like, I mean, I think I did a version. I feel like you do U.S. history in like the seventh grade, if I recall. And then we did it again in junior um, junior year. Yeah, ours was eighth grade because seventh grade was Texas history. Oh, okay. That that makes sense. Hell yeah. That makes sense. Um, yeah, and I... Let's talk about Texas. Talk about Texas. It's the Alamo. Yeah. And nothing else. Um, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. We got six flags. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I was also in, of course I was, AP US history. I, I, I love history. History is one of my favorite subjects. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had an amazing uh, history teacher, Mr. Rudolph, um, who would literally like sit on his desk and just tell us history. That's cool. Like, and he, he actually was on Jeopardy at one point. Oh, nice. Yeah. He's amazing guy. Really, really incredible. And then I took AP European history my senior year. Um, mm. and so we kind of like hit a lot of this stuff again. Uh, but like, I, I mean, also I've, you know, seen a lot of World War II movies and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I think it is a very interesting period of history. And I think there's a lot of important stuff to learn from it. Whether that's the right things that are emphasized or not is a whole different thing. Yes. But I think Superman would know his U.S. history pretty well. I think he would, yeah. Yeah. You're right. I, I apologize, Clark. Yeah. For, for... No, you have to apologize to all of Kansas. No. <laughs> that. Look, I spent four years in Kansas. I know what I'm talking <laughs> you, about. Yeah, you don't have to apologize for it. Um, but yes, now they realize like they're building jet engines, and that's you know going to be real bad for everything. Um, and then I feel like... I mean, that's kind of most of their story is just like, you know, going on with the Blackhawks and taking out this this factory. We have that great moment with Flash where they realize that they, they're they not invading oh, that's England, right. they're invading America. Yeah. And so Flash is like, oh, which is West? Which, where's cool. West? Yeah. I'll be right back. Yeah. And just fucking runs across <laughs> the Atlantic. Also, I mean, why is he asking where's West? He's West. Shut up. Wally West. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. Cut it out. <laughs> But I do love that. He just takes off. He's like, yeah. I got this. Uh, very Flash yeah, thing that, to do. Because like seeing that and kind of knowing who Flash is, he's he's obviously the goofball more consistently, but like he's someone that can always save the person because he's yeah. fast enough. And yeah. so hearing that Hot Girl didn't save GL mm-hmm. is just unfathomable to him. Yeah. Like, he, what do you mean you didn't save them? Like, why couldn't you? Like, I could have. He, he could have. <laughs> he, he, ha- he has the time. Yeah. yeah. He could have done it. Well, and, and, you know, there's that moment where when after, like, GL gets separated and he's left behind enemy lines and, you know, he basically gets, like, knocked into the, a muddy river and the Flash goes looking for him and misses him by, like, mm-hmm. seconds. Um, you know, which is just, it's heartbreaking because they do have kind of a, you know, they're buddies at this point. They had yeah. their, they had their, um, their Gorilla Grod grand. episode yeah. together. But no, I, I mean, I think we've been leading up to it, but GL's story I think is the most interesting here. Yes. Because he does, his ring runs out of juice because, you know, towing the javelin across the galaxy depleted it pretty much to the point it was almost dead to begin with. Mm-hmm. And they go back in the past and, you know, he's put in pretty extreme circumstances and it, it flat out dies on him. And it dies at a point when they're trying to evacuate a town and he tells Hawkgirl to leave him behind. Yeah. And, you know, knowing that they already have like a bit of a dynamic between the two of them, it adds an additional level of heartbreak to that moment. And then it's just, it's him on his own with no weapons or ring. Except his wit. Except his wit. And but his like fists. I think that's what makes his story so interesting. It's yeah. like, you know, we 
we got to see like the nerdy side of GL um, in Legends, seeing the part of him that used to read comic books as a kid. And this is the part where we get to see that he was a fucking U.S. Marine. <laughs> like, yeah, and a good one. Yeah, like, uh, you know, the members of Easy Company kind of call him out. It's like, oh, yeah, what training do you have? He's like, I'm a Marine. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I've got this. Yeah, so I, I did very minimal research into the Easy Company because they're fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, again, they were started in the late 50s. Sergeant Rock is the main guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we meet Bulldozer, who's kind of the second in command. Wild Man, who's kind of the redheaded guy. Yeah. Uh, and Ice Cream Soldier. Ice Cream Soldier. Love <laughs> I it. Don't get that one. Eh. Um, but no, they're they're an interesting comic because it's it's um, James Bond esque in the sense of you never learn anyone's real name because oh, they're just okay. constantly shifting people. So. I think in its run, there's been like 22 members in Easy Company. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some just like get sent back to America and new people come in and they just take on the nickname. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they're, they were in a recent comic story, if I remember correctly. I think like they had like a 2014 run. Oh, maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I, I know, and I'm sure someone who knows comic book history better than me can can clarify this better, but I think... I want to say that Sergeant Rock was part of that era of comics where superheroes are kind of going out of phase. And, mm-hmm. I, and I feel like part of the reason they're going out of phase is that they were under attack from um, the Comic Code's authority. And so they started switching over to like more Western comics and space comics and like war comics to move away from superheroes. Yes. I think that's right. I think that's kind of what what brought them into existence. And then if I recall, I want to say it was the 60s Batman show to then help really bring superheroes back into popularity again. Well, if, if I remember my history correctly, which I probably don't, mm-hmm. because I mean the, the important history, not World War history, but yes, you, but yeah, 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 the but important the, history, history of, of comic, comic books book in comic. the United States. Yes, yeah. Um, superhero comics weren't falling because of the comic code. The comic code was created to bring them back into popularity. They were fading because supernatural comics kind of took over. Oh, in that's parallel right. with the supernatural era of television. Your Doctor Ed, not Doctor Ed, Mister Ed. No, no, Doctor Ed. Doctor Ed. Yeah, Horse MD. Yes, it's a great plan, House MD. <laughs> that is actually <laughs> um, would watch. That's some kind of BoJack Horseman bullshit. It must have been done at some point. I can't. Um, I'm, I can't be the first one to come up with that. Your Sabrina, I Dream of Genie, yeah, Monsters, and Adam's Family. Parallel. Bewitched. And Bewitched. I'm so sorry. I, I don't, I don't think Sabrina. I think that was... Yeah, Sabrina was nice. was later. Well, yeah. she was also in the comics, Archie. Yeah, but I don't, mm-hmm. was, was Sabrina part of the Archie comics in the 50s? I think so. Oh, I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know yeah. her, her comic history. But yes, so, Bewitched. Yes, Bewitched, not Bewitched. Sabrina. Yes. Um, and then that paralleled with um, the Wolfman comics. Not Marv Wolfman, but Wolfman. Right, yes. Um, and all of the other supernatural uh, tales from the crypt mm-hmm. kind of came into popularity, and they were so popular that not even like Superman and Wonder Woman, sorry, Superman and Batman were selling well. That's right, yeah. Um, so then the superhero comics kind of got real sneaky with the comic code, and they're like these aren't teaching good values to kids. So if you look at our comics, look at us. Superman is working with the police. He's telling them thank you and please mm-hmm. and shaking their hands. Like, that's what you need. Oh. And then they're like, that's right. Frankenstein's not shaking hands with his police officer. That's a problem. That's yeah. teaching kids the wrong thing. So then the comic code is created to block that shit out mm-hmm. and really fuck them over. 
That makes sense. I think I may have rewritten comic history, and I just always assumed that the, the comic code was there to stop Batman and Robin from being gay. Well, I mean, that was part of it, yeah, for sure. they were... Mm. Yeah, because right. I mean, there was that, there was the whole bondage stuff with Wonder Woman that kind of that kind of yeah. Out. But I think that was a shift to show that they're working with the comic code, whereas Tales oh, okay. of the Crypt is not working with the comic. Okay, code. Okay, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. I think that's where Star Trek kind of rocked. If came I remember from. correctly, yeah. I could have missed a lot of stuff in there. I feel like we're both just trying to remember what like Mason explained on that one episode of Do Go On. I think <laughs> yeah. we're both trying to recite that now. Um, but yeah, so then we get some Sergeant Rock in there and that's who GL ends up teaming up with. Um, and like, you can tell that this is also like tough for Green Lantern. Like we know he was a Marine. I don't think at this point we know yet what his, um, career in the Marines looked like, whether he was deployed and where, um, but you know, no matter what, he hasn't been doing this kind of fighting for a long time. And he certainly hasn't been doing the kind of, you know, fighting where he doesn't have his ring. Yeah. Like, I don't want to say that it's a crutch for him, but it's one of the most powerful things in the entire known universe. Mm -hmm. You know, one that can create anything for him, primarily laser blasts. Yes. Beams and walls. At, at you know, at the speed of thought. Um, but it's, you know, that's a lot different than, you know, being vulnerable, being behind enemy lines, having to look for snipers, you know? So he's a little bit out of his element. Yeah. And, and bulldozer, who's definitely a guy gardener kind of character. Yeah. Is constantly calling him out on it. Yeah. It's like there's a moment where they're trying to take over a bunker, mm -hmm. and um, Wildman kind of gets shot by a sniper they they missed, where it was John's responsibility to have his back. Mm -hmm. And they call him out. And it's like, I guess you're really nothing without that toy, are you? Um, oh, so that sniper is awful. A horrible shot. Yeah, shot him in the leg. Yeah, he this massive man i mean obviously we're talking about you know bruce tim style male characters so they are 90 percent torso yes they're 90 percent <laughs> chest cavity yeah and this guy somehow shoots him in the ankle yeah <laughs> terrible sniper but i think it's also interesting that moment beyond gl getting kind of shit from some members of easy company is he shoots that sniper like he, he oh he, in one shot in one shot. So does he, not waste a bullet no, he doesn't waste a bullet so he's still a good shot but also this episode is very weird about death yes because for example in the the dog fight sequence that beautifully animated dog fight sequence we see a lot of german soldiers german pilots parachuting out of their planes when they're hit not all of them but a lot of them are mm -hmm. at the same time as gl straight up shoots a guy there's no indication that he survives that shot could, could have had body armor he could have but, like, but we, we, there's no andrea moans <laughs> yep. to, to clarify that guy is still alive Right. And on top of that, you know, when we get to the final fight sequence of all of the, um, the drop ships, the drop ship jets flying through the air, a lot of them get taken out. There are what, hundreds, if not thousands of soldiers on each one of those things, yep. plus the, the crew and everything like that. Like a lot of people are dying in these episodes. Yeah. Parallel that to when they go and take out the factory, Flash clears yeah. all of the civilians out first. Exactly. He empties out everyone in the factory, which I, I'm glad they included that moment because, again, like, these are not necessarily, like, um, you know, ideologically aligned people. They're just the factory. There's also something to be said that there's probably a lot of German soldiers, too, that didn't really have a choice in being where they were. Mm -hmm. But it's war. They're the enemy. It's a little bit complicated. I don't know. It's just weird. It's like they make overtures big ones like you said with flash to show when people aren't getting killed while also killing a fuckload of people but i guess it's done in kind of a passive off way off screen way that they're just kind of what's yeah. that worry, worry about out this? of sight out of mind chris 
A little bit. It just, it felt, it felt like a weird, it felt like they were trying to do both simultaneously and didn't really succeed at either. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's, again, it's a weird, it's a kid's cartoon. It's set in World War II. I guess they're trying to do the best they possibly can. Maybe they threw in a couple parachutes so that, you know, the, the senses watching would go, oh, I remember people parachuting. It's fine. Yeah, that, that definitely was. Yes. Um, so then they take over the bunker and they're looking for like a secret base Mm -hmm. and they realize that they're standing on it. Yeah. They're looking for an airfield that's supposed to be on a map. Yeah. So that's what it is. Yeah. And they, they fall through the camouflage and they discover the, the airfield down there. And then, um, you know, they realize that the jets are deploying and GL like jumps on a motorcycle and, and jumps onto the, uh, the wheel of Savage's planets taking off. It's all Captain America. Yeah. It's a, Yeah. I feel like whoever who directed the first Captain America, uh, Joe Johnston. I feel like he saw this episode. He probably did. Yeah, he probably did. <laughs> I mean, it's also you can only do so much, right? I mean, it's it's the same kind of thing. It's you take, you know, a real historical event, a very a pretty big one, mm-hmm. um, and you have to apply like a superhero slash sci fi element to it. And I mean, th- at the end of the day, the plot of this is basically the exact same plot as the first Avenger. At least from the you know the um, the Red Skull side of things, you yeah. Know, it's like the Red Skull is doing his own thing. He's you know he's basically ignoring Hitler and doing his own thing. Whereas here they've put Hitler on ice, but you know he has advanced technology. He builds jets. They're going to invade America. You know the hero jumps onto the wheel of the plane and like takes it out from the air. It's all kind of from a motorcycle. From a motorcycle. Well, no, hang on, hang on. Oh right, they were in the car. They're in Red Skull's car. Yes. Yeah, because like Peggy kisses him goodbye, and Tommy Lee Jones says the great line like "I'm not kissing you." Yeah, <laughs> love Tommy Lee Jones. Um, but it's it's all basically the, the same stuff. But you know, it, it eventually just leads to you know, a big aerial fight as they're taking out the plane. Mm-hmm. But I like that in that fight they still have John without a ring fighting Vandal on, you know, in the cockpit of the ship. Yeah, like it still comes down to to some degree like a mano a mano fight. And then that great moment where Manhunter realizes that John is on board. Yes. Um, and because I, I forgot from their perspective, they think he's dead. Mm-hmm. And so like the the shock of Hawker of like he's like he's there. Yeah. And goes in and saves him before the, the ship crashes with Vandal still inside. Yeah. And you get that really great moment when she grabs him and they're, they fly away and it focuses on their hands. There's mm-hmm. a little, little squeeze. So cute. It is. They do like a really nice job with the, the gradual courtship of yeah. those two. Oh, yes. I'll, I'll get into something like that for my plugs. Okay. Uh, that we'll talk about in a second. Yeah. But you know, and so at the end, like they take out the planes and they, they go back in time and everything's back to normal. And Superman even gives Batman a big old hug. Yeah. Which I, I really love that moment. It's very cute because Batman looks so uncomfortable. He does. He's like, what are you doing? Why are you hugging me? Mm-hmm. What is happening right now? Oh, but then the button, which is also very sweet. The button's really sweet. Is yeah. Everyone comes back. Everyone's kind of hugging and celebrating. But you see Wonder Woman is kind of like a two step behind everyone. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of, kind of happy. Yeah. Then the button is that she goes to visit a retirement center. And she finds old Peggy Carter. Yes. Yeah. Finds Steve Trevor. And he calls her Angel. He calls her Angel. It's it's a really it's a really sweet little button on the whole thing. Yes, that was that was a very good way to to end the episode. I mean, I I think I think part of the reason that I really like these episodes is I mean, I'll, I'll admit it one, I love like any sort of fictional story that interweaves real world events. I'm a total fan fucking sucker for it it's 
the reason why I love New Frontier. It's the reason why X-Men First Class is my favorite X-Men movie because it factors in the Cuban Missile Crisis and it's like, what, how would this event have played out differently given that these characters are now here? I love that sort of stuff. So mm -hmm. one, that's this whole episode. But two, it's like, it's really good action to your point. It's really, really well animated. Most of the characters, or I, I'd say at least, yeah, pretty much most of the characters get some sort of, um, you know, character beats. You know, we get the version of Batman that's hopeful that his family might be alive in another universe. You know, we get the Flash who's upset that his friend got left behind. Hawkgirl upset that she was the one that left him behind. Mm -hmm. GL figuring out how to be a hero without his ring. You know, one Roman getting this, this moment to connect with Steve Trevor. There's really good character moments. And it's you can tell that the, the creatives in the show know that's where their strength lies at the end of the day. Because to your point, that's the button they go on. Like this huge, epic, three-part... You know, I'd say I'd say probably the biggest thing we've seen yet out of this show, even including the premiere, this felt like the scale and the stakes were that much higher. And they were smart. The last thing they end on is like a sunset with, you know, old Steve Trevor and one woman together. Yeah. Because ultimately we're here for the characters. That's what we're really invested in. If you can give us fun stuff along the way, all the better for it. But it's it's a really, really touching way to end mm -hmm. the, the episode and the season too. I mean, that's the end of... Our first season. It's also the end of an era because this is the last cartoon or it's the last of the DCAU that's four by three. Oh, starting season two, we've moved to the modern era, baby, where nine. No, nine by 16. Nine, uh, 16 by nine. 16 by nine. <laughs> by nine. Yeah. Very letterbox. vertical. Nine by yeah. 16. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I, I hadn't even thought about that because I didn't notice because I normally don't think about the fact that you're right. It's it's, you know, it's four, three you know, TV cropped. The only time I noticed it was in that very final sequence when they go to the retirement home, when Wonder Woman goes to the retirement home and there's a sign in the, like the, the, the foreground off the left-hand side. And we can't see what the sign says mm -hmm. because it's cropped by four, three. And I'm like, was this animated widescreen and then shown four, three? Cause I feel like the sign was meant to tell us it's a retirement home, but it got cut off. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't notice that. Yeah. I, Maybe. I think so. No, because they they would know that it's four three. They wouldn't have animated widescreen. I don't know. I mean, if they were kind of at that transition point, they may have. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, at this point now, like they they didn't know that home video was a thing. Mm -hmm. I think. Well, okay. When this aired, we still had our our massive like cathode ray tube TV, like our our, our last huge CRT TV. The thing weighed like fucking four hundred pounds. I this was around the time that we got the first, probably like one of the first flat screens in Dallas. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. Because I'm mom. If you're listening, I'm still upset with you. We had a one of a kind Dr Pepper pool table that she sold to pay for the flat screen. Now, Cameron, I would like to point out to you, to you, that maybe your favorite thing in this world is watching TV. It is. And you're upset that your mom got rid of a pool table to get you a better a one TV. one of a kind Dr. Pepper pool table. So? Would you still have it? Would you put it in your apartment in LA? Yes, I would. <laughs> Absolutely, I would. That thing would go with me everywhere. God damn it. You know I'm a loyalist. A brand loyalist. Yes, you are. You, 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 actually, that's a good point. The only thing that might rival your love of watching TV is your love of advertising for brands. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I say that in the, the one time when you're not decked out in Disney. 
I'm not. I'm weirdly not. I have my my anime hat on, my normal shirt. Yeah. And my Simpson flip flops. Exactly. But it's it's I think it's the first time in a long time you showed up here and not be wearing a Disney branded shirt. <laughs> yes. Well, Chris, I've gained the quarantine fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> Those dingy shirts don't fit the way they used to. It's fine. This year's a write-off. It is. This year's a write-off for everybody. Yeah. It's fine. But no, it, you're right. This is the end of an era. We're not going to uh, 16 by 9. But look, I love these. Um, you know, and I, I, we'll acknowledge real quick uh, the voice cast. We Next week, we're going to have some really, you know, incredible things to talk about in terms of voice casting. But, you know, it's worth, worth acknowledging that the legendary Phil Morris is the voice of Vandal Savage. Yes. Um, now, Cameron, can you tell me what else Phil Morris has done? He is the dad, Silas Stone, in Titans. Well done. Yes. He is also Martian Manhunter in Smallville. That's right. Yeah, I yes. know that. Yes, and, and he's a very prolific voice actor, too. He's done um, stuff on Kim Possible. Uh, he was... Who's in Kim Possible? He was... Um, oh, damn, I had it written down. Because if I, if I remember correctly, he's the dad in Danny Phantom. Not not Danny's dad. Uh Valerie. I think so. The yeah. Villain slash love interest slash antihero. Falsetto Jones. Falsetto Jones. Falsetto Jones. And in, nothing's coming to me. In, what? Really? That really? You I guess I gotta do a rewatch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Falsetto Jones. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, so, and he played Damon Gray in Danny yes, Phantom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very. Valerie Gray's father. Yeah, very, very prolific voice actor, and just normal, just, you know, live action actor, too. Um, mm-hmm. But no, he he's great, and I guess he's a big comic book nerd, so he knew about Vandal Savage when they brought him in to do oh, this great. already, which is, you know, it's always fun when a fan of the show gets to come on and do it. Um, so we got him, we got Patrick Duffy as Steve Trevor, who you would recognize his face probably if you saw him. Um, he's most famous for being on Dallas. He's like one of like the... I'm from there. Yeah, exactly. On the show, though. Yeah, I'm from there. The sh- you're from the show Dallas. Yeah, I'm, I'm a dream character. <laughs> you're a dream, yes. I think he's the one that had the dream, I think. <laughs> great. I, th- I think he's the one who wakes up like, oh my God, it was all just a dream. Um, but uh, the great Ted Levine is Bulldozer, one of the other members of Easy Company, who mm-hmm. in the DCU was also Sinestro. Yes. Um, but he's just got that face. If you see him, like, oh my God, I've seen this guy everywhere. Gives great mustache, Ted Levine. Played a lot Ooh. of cops in his time. Um, and then, of course, uh, Robert Picardo, who, if you've seen Star Trek Voyager, was the doctor, the hologram doctor on Star Trek Voyager. He was the voice of Blackhawk. Nice. Yeah. I have not seen that show. Damn it, Cameron. I, I've, excuse me, I've not, I don't think I've ever watched an episode. No. I've seen an episode of Star Trek. Which one? The, uh, one with the furry thing. Tribbles? Yes, the Tribbles. Okay, well, now, did you see the original Trouble with Tribbles? From yes. The, okay, because there's also the fantastic episode of Deep Space Nine where that crew goes back in time and are on board the Enterprise during the Trouble with Tribbles. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah, so. No, the original Trouble with The Tribbles. original Trouble with Tribbles. Okay. Yes. Yeah. When Kirk's in his fat shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but no, I mean, a great supporting voice cast here uh, in this episode. So I think what we're going to do here uh, is we're going to um, not do a question this week because we have our short list. We have our short list. So we'll do our short list and then we'll do some... And this uh, one's actually a pretty short, back- short list. Yeah, it is a short, short list. Um, 
yeah, so obviously we're going to treat all of the two-part episodes as one storyline. So we're not going to, you know, go through every all 26 episodes, but instead we have 12 storylines. Yes, part one and three of Secret Origins. Exactly. <laughs> part two can fuck right off. Uh, but yeah, so we're going to go through. So starting with number one, Secret Origins. Of course. Yes. You know, uh, good episode. I think good, not great, maybe, but solid episodes. Great start. Great start. They're, they're figuring out their footing. Or, yeah. Uh, we, as we've mentioned many a time, it took them a while to get their footing in this, in this show. Yeah. So, but and no. we'll reflect that in this list. Exactly. And, and worth including there, of course, because it's the start of everything. So, Secret Origins, yes. In Blackest Night. Yes. No. Fuck you. No. Yes. It's a bad episode. It's a good episode. They're a bad episode. It's a great episode. How is it a great episode? The Manhunters. The so, Owens. You get to meet, you see John's, this is John's origin episode. Okay. And it, it is for him to, for us to meet his character where he stands morally against the rest of the league. It's an important part to understand who he is. You get to see his backstory. You get to see him where he used to get his haircut. <laughs> All right. You know what? Fine. I will concede on in blackest night. It is not one of the more egregious offenders of the, yes, of, of the early episodes. It's, it's the best one. Okay, fine. I will give you that one. We can include it. I guess there's enough in there canonically to make it worthwhile and it's mm -hmm. not terrible. Okay, it's fine. And they need to introduce, cause we, you know, we've met Kyle, but we don't know about the greater green lanterns yet, sure. okay, which fine. is comes into play later. All right, fine. Yeah. I concede. Thank you. All right. The enemy below. No, hell not. Nah. <laughs> it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. Injustice for all. I'm moving them around a little bit because technically this would have. Yeah, come I, first. I did it off of the okay. the Wikipedia order. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What do you mean? What do, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> what, what hesitation do you have on Injustice for all? No, it's great. It's great. It's probably one of my favorites of this season. Yes. Like, I mean, we get the transition of Lex Luthor from businessman to full on like supervillain. I think I, think I just had it mixed up. For a second with Fury. Okay, yeah, so no, no yeah. This Fury. is the origin of the Injustice Gang. It's, yes. It, this okay. This is the two-parter. The one brings back Mark Hamill's Joker, which anytime the Joker is present, we must seriously consider it mm -hmm. its inclusion. But two, this is the episode where Batman single-handedly undermines every single member of the Injustice Gang while tied up. Yes. So yes, absolutely. Yes. I'm sorry for my for my poor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is Batman at his most Batman. Yes, that yeah. is true. Okay, we have to include that. Uh, all right, number five, Paradise Lost. Y yes. Okay. For my own argument that I made for Blackest Night. I, I agree. This was a, a begrudging inclusion on my part. I yeah. don't think it's that strong as an episode. But we need the, the, the mascara stuff. Yes. And the um, Hephaestus. No. Hestia? Hephaestus. Hippolyta? Hippolyta. God damn it. Hippolyta and Hades? Yeah, I know Hades. Actually, I've, I've been doing so much fucking work on my mythology yes. over these past couple weeks. Of course. There's so many H names in Greek. Hestia, Hippolyta, uh, uh, who's Hera's son, who's I don't know. ostracized. Doesn't matter. Because he's too ugly and he makes all the weapons for the gods. I don't know. There's, um, there's hella names in there. There is hella names. Yeah. But no, I, I agree with you. That, like, I was a little bit hesitant. I think there's this episode needs to be here because it explains, one, one Roman's backstory a little bit more. But two, it also establishes why she is an outcast from Themyscira. And I think that comes into play enough down the line and i think it's important enough to her character that it's worth including even if it's not a great episode all right number six war world no nope awful absolutely no, we, awful. we've mentioned we only see mongol one more time and that's 
And that's a great episode. We don't need this yeah, to set up that yeah. one. So, all right. Number seven, The Brave and the Bold. So here's, here's where I have to be a dick, Chris. Okay. And this is my role in this. We have very strict rules mm-hmm. for these episodes mm-hmm. about necessity. Right. It, it is either must be considered a great must-watch episode or must be canonically critical if it is not one of the former. Yes, I wrote no, but I'm willing to say yes if you said yes. I said yes. Then I'll say yes. <laughs> I, I thought these were pretty fun. They're, they're really, really good episodes. But also, Gorilla Grodd is one of the most frequently recurring villains to the rest of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. And that I think, is true. I think for that alone, we have to have his origin and the background on Gorilla City Cool in here. So I, I think that's a yes. And I, 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 I still think this is a pretty fun watch so um ooh, okay this one's a tough one fury number I eight no i like these episodes they're fine but injustice is better it's it's better than paradise lost yeah but we don't learn anything new that we didn't already yeah. learn in paradise Lost. no i know i i wanted to include it i just don't i don't think there's enough here to justify i don't think it's good enough to make it a must watch and i don't think there's enough in here to really make it a necessary watch because at the end of the day she's still banned from themiscara yeah she goes back but it doesn't matter she still can't return so it still just kind of ends on a status quo point. i mean we, we broke the system anyway that just have superman hover over so never actually touches down that's true that's true yeah, we, we fixed it we fixed yeah it. we fixed oh. it okay all right and it's i'm honestly ashamed of bruce him for nothing about that well you know they do what they can yeah Number nine, Legends. Of course. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I, 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 I think it was my favorite episode of the season. Yeah, I said yes on that one. I think it's, just, I think it's a great episode. I, I, I think it gives us something we don't really see at any other point in the entire DCAU, really. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a good twist and really good character stuff out of John in particular. So Yes. Hephaestus, by the way, was the name I was fucking I'm trying to think I'm so earlier. glad you got there in the end. Oh, God. So, yes. I was so worried. The sun. I don't know if you could tell. Era. I was very concerned. Fucking hate my brain. All right, number ten, a night of shadows. No, really? Did you say yes? I said yes. Okay, then I'll, I'll concede. I look, again, Etrigan pops up kind of consistently. Yeah, but we've already met Etrigan. Yeah, it's not an origin episode for him. Morgan Le Fay. It is an origin for Morgan. Returns a few times. Yes. I also think Morgana. these are good episodes. Okay, then yes, I, I will I concede. Think, I, look, okay, they're not they're not must watch episodes. But I think they are entertaining. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't. It's not one that I'm like, yeah, you have to get through it because you need to know this piece of information. I'm like, no, like it's a fun watch. I think most people would probably enjoy them. Okay, good. Yeah. Number it's King Arthur. I love King Arthur. King Arthur. Yeah. Number eleven, Metamorphosis. No. No, absolutely not. I said last week that <laughs> it's not showing up on our list, and I'm sticking to it. It's not. I mean, it's incredibly entertaining. It's so bad. It's awful. No my least okay, favorite but here's here's an idea chris no i don't want to hear it we only ever <laughs> we only ever give the audience the good episodes we don't know like they don't understand what they're like why they're only watching this episode they don't need to what if we just feed them one nope, nope. it's like the idea if you have like a normal person running the olympics with you saying bullets who can understand like why he's so good at what he is that just sounds really mean for that one person <laughs> no it'd be incredibly entertaining no look Look, it's, it's, it's a scaler. No. It's to understand. <laughs> look, and look, I, I do find value in, in the scale. I do find value in sometimes highlighting for people 
how bad things can be. Yes. But I will say that that is not the point of the DCAU. That's true. Right? Like, yeah, it's a universe that spanned 12 years. Yeah, about 12 years and hundreds of shows. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's going to be dips in quality, but I don't think, I don't think the dips in quality are essential to it. No, they're not. like you know, by contrast, I know you might say this is a joke, but it's an excuse. No, for no, 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 it's okay, an excuse for, for me to talk about James Bond, which I'm going to do. Like in contrast, like I always tell people, if you've never seen a James Bond movie, we're going to sit down and watch three of them. We're going to watch Casino Royale because it's the best of all of them. It is straight up the best film in the entire series. Shows you how like the highest of highs. Mm-hmm. We're going to watch Goldfinger. Because it is the most Bond film ever. It's at the template for everything to follow. And it's established a lot of the tropes that we know. And then we're going to watch Moonraker, which is just so stupidly insane that it shows you how ridiculous the franchise can be. And I think Bond is a franchise that part of the love comes from how stupid it can get. Got it. In the same way the DCU does not. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. Fine. No on Metamorphosis. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then, of course, the Savage Time. Of course. Yes, we have to include it. So... All right, which means that our season one Justice League shortlist is going to be Secret Origins, In Blackest Night, Injustice for All, Paradise Lost, The Brave and the Bold, Legends, and Night of Shadows, The Savage Time, meaning that of the 12, we only cut out four. That's not bad. That's pretty good, actually. Yeah. I, I think that's... For I, how much we spent four, you know, we spent four years praising this show. <laughs> I think, you know, cutting four, cutting a third... Yeah. Seems about right. Sounds pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's pretty fair. I'd say that everything left here is of pretty solid quality. Absolutely. So. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, shall we do our bat plugs? Let's do it. Let's wrap this one up. All right. What do you got, Cameron? Uh, I have been getting into the holiday spirit, Chris. Of course you have. Yes. Um, I don't think I plugged this last week. If I did, I'm sorry. I don't don't mean to plug it again. Uh, But I watched The Holiday. You didn't. Okay. Plug it last week. Okay, yes. I, wa- I, right. I watched The Holiday on Netflix. Um, How was it? It's very cute. Okay. If if you... And, and I've, I've heard this complaint from people, especially us Hollywoodites, <laughs> pompous characters that Just we are. Just call us what we are. <laughs> Pretentious buttholes. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, we know kind of the story of Emma Roberts and her, her, her treatment of other people. Yeah, she's kind of awful. Um, yeah. But she's so cute. In this movie, and if you can get past her, then I think you'll really enjoy this movie. And it's not what I expected. Okay, it's it's you know a Christmas film, but the idea is them meeting up to you know it's two people that meet up who've just been single for a while, mm-hmm. and instead of dealing with their families, they're going to be each other's date for every holiday over a year. You know what this is. They're each other's straight beards. This is like straight. Yes, that's this, exactly this is, what it is. This is straight people having beards. Yes. Stop co-opting gay culture, you monsters. No. <laughs> Just make a movie about beards. Yeah. Don't make them also be straight. And I'm sure inevitably fall in love with each other. Oh, of course. Yeah, it's a rom-com. Fucking hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I was I was puzzlingly surprised by that, and I, I thought it was a fun twist on kind of a generic Christmas story. Yeah. Uh, so it's fun. Recommend it if you can get past Emma, Emma Roberts. If you can't, I don't blame you. Yeah. Um, but then I also watched again on the festive scale, um, Dash and Al- Dash and Lily. Oh, um, that's another one of the Netflix, which is a Christmas series. Fucking hell. Which I 
am so I've I've thought about like we getting a limited Christmas series because like it's fun to be with these characters. But, like I want to be with the characters, and like seeing like a romance blossom a little more naturally over the course of eight episodes. You look so tired already of me talking yeah. about this. Yeah. Um, I'm a sucker for rom coms. You know, I know. That. I look. I am too. Sometimes. And it's it's a cute story. I don't know if you saw the trailer. No. It's uh, she loves Christmas. He doesn't. Right. What a conundrum. Um, he is, you know, he's an old soul. She's an old soul. Uh, she leaves a book of like tasks to do in uh, a bookstore and he finds it and they kind of fall in love passing this book back to each other. It's kind of like a better version of you've got mail. How dare you? You've got I will mail. stand by it. You've got mail as a classic. It is. And I think this does it better. How? I, I refuse. I refuse to yes. hear that. I mean, I just found out that uh, my mom and Meg Ryan share the same birthday. Oh, nice. And I will still stand by my comments. God damn it. it I, I think it's very cute. And I think it's, I, I will say, I think it's, better because we get to stay with the characters longer. No, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, I'm honestly surprised someone hasn't, well, I mean, who would, it's things you couldn't really do. You've got mail now. Could you? So <laughs> I was like, why hasn't that been readapted for like a Hulu series? I'm like, well, cause no one emails anymore for like fun. Emails just for work. Yeah. I mean, it's just online dating now. Yeah, exactly. And you can just look people up. Yeah. So it wouldn't really play with it. Mm-hmm. Mm, too bad. Yeah. Those, those are my plugs. What about okay. you, Chris? I'm, uh, are you feeling festive? Not yet, um, <laughs> but no, I mean, uh, because of work, I'm now driving a lot more than I used to be, um, and so I have been listening to more podcasts than watching TV of late, um, and I, I think I may have plugged this once before, maybe reference it, um, but the the Stitcher Premium Narrative Podcast, Wolverine the Long Night, I feel mm. like, I, I know I- I have sh- never heard of this. So. I know I started listening to it, oh, a year, you, you brought it up and I wasn't paying attention. Ago. Very likely. Yeah. Um, I, I started listening to it a while ago and I just didn't stick with it probably about a year ago. And then I, I came back to it, be like, Hey, let's, you know, I don't necessarily want to do an audiobook. Let me do like a, a long form narrative podcast. And so it's, it's 10 episodes. They're all roughly 30 to 40 minutes. Um, and Richard Armitage, who is most famous for playing Thorn Oakenshield in the Hobbit, mm-hmm. uh, is the voice of Wolverine. He sings um, that song. He does. Yeah. He's a good singer. Yeah. Great song. He's got pipes. Yeah. Um, oh, also, he was the, uh, the the Nazi in First Avenger who, like, sabotages the Vita Ray chamber when Captain America becomes Captain America. Oh, that's right. And he tries to escape in a submarine. Yeah. 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 He's that Nazi. Don't worry, sir. I can swim. Yeah, exactly. It's really cute. Um, but yeah, so he voices Wolverine. And it the the story is that Logan has gone off to like the remote Alaskan wilderness to try and get away from everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple of FBI agents are sent out to investigate a series of murders. And Logan is the primary suspect because all of the, the bodies have been like clawed and mutilated by something like super strong and deadly. So you could easily point to Logan. And it's like this, mystery kind of unravels around who or what is killing these people and there's a cult up there that's obsessed with the, is it just um, like an actual wolverine is that the, is that the yeah like an actual animal yeah it's just the animal yeah. the wolverine but it's kind of cool because you know it, for the story it, it's interesting to have an x-men story that really kind of focuses on one character and he's also in the background he's not he's not the pov character the fbi agents investigating are 
So he's kind of this presence lurking in the background. Um, and like mutants and the X-Men and the rest of everything isn't really addressed. It's kind of just focused on this one-off mystery um, that Logan is a part of. And as the story progresses, we get a slightly, we get a glimpse into the broader world that is like Weapon X and, and mutants and stuff like that. Um, but it's kind of like w- what I think would have, would make for a really interesting Wolverine movie or like Wolverine TV show that just focuses on that character and isn't about like the bigger worlds. And it, it makes sense that something that has such a small scale would work well as a podcast fat rather than putting the money in to do, you know, movie or, or, or show, but I've never really kind of experienced anything quite like it. it. You know, it felt more like, you know, like a one-off comic sort of thing than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really, really well produced. And the, the other cast is, um, you know, kind of lesser known actors, but they'll do a really good job. Um, and it is on Stitcher Premium, so like you do have to pay for the subscription to get it. And there's a second season that I'm probably going to end up listening to very shortly as well. But you know, I I burned through it in you know a few days, and it, it's it's really good. I, I think it's um, a very it's a, t- a version of a superhero story I haven't really seen done before. And I think from that perspective, it's really really good. That so, sounds really interesting. Yeah. yeah. So no, I highly recommend checking that out. Very cool. So, yeah. All right. Well, I think that uh, that does it for us this week. We've kind of gone gone long enough at this point. Uh, but no, this was fun. I liked this one. Yeah. I like these. Um, but yeah, if you uh, want to reach out to us, if you have thoughts on The Savage Time, uh, you can find us at Tim Talk Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. Yes, 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 yes. You can find me at Lordifer on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, if you want to see my art, you can find that at Cameron.Dexter. And if you want to see my face, you can find that at CamDexter underscore Adventures. I have not uploaded a photo in <laughs> seven months. I think it'll be noteworthy when you do. It will be. At that point. You'll know that Disneyland's opening again, that's exactly. for sure. Yeah, that's how you'll know. Uh, but thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, you know, this episode does come out the week of Thanksgiving. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. You know, yeah, happy Thanksgiving, everybody, you know, for our, our domestic listeners. So, uh, you know, just want to say, one, thank you, Cameron, for doing this with me. It's been fun. Thank it's you, been a Chris, real ride. for giving me a platform to... <laughs> To rant and uh, rave. Yes. <laughs> but no, like, I, I'm constantly complaining about how much work the show is, but it, we wouldn't keep doing it if we didn't love doing it. And we do. And it's super fun. And so, one, thank you for joining me on this adventure. And uh, just thank you to our listeners. Like, you know, it, we have a, a small but lovely and loyal fan base. And, you know, glad that we can uh, hopefully help kind of, you know, brighten your guys' days. Yes. And uh, please be safe. This year is yes. weird. Don't be stupid. Yeah. Thanksgiving's weird this year. This is the first year ever that I'm not going to be home with my family uh, for Thanksgiving, which is pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine I'm not the only one. It's me a case for a lot of people. So, yeah. you know, um, if that's you as well, if you're not able to go home, I'm sorry that that really sucks. But yeah, be be safe, be smart and have a know, small Friendsgiving, small Friendsgiving. And, you know, at the end of the day, we we will get through this. Yes. Eventually. Mm-hmm. So. Um, but yeah, so just, uh, thank you everybody. Really appreciate it. Thanks everybody. Yeah. And, uh, we'll be back next week with the season two premiere twilight. <gasps> no, not that twilight. Oh, a different twilight, but in widescreen, but in widescreen <laughs> for the first time ever. Uh, can't wait for that. But, uh, thanks again, everyone. See you then. Bye. 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 Bye.